from Matthew uh, chapter 6, page 970, and Luke is going to come and read it for us. Thanks, Luke. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word. May it speak to our hearts, prompting our response to follow you, follow your ways and your will. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if the screen behind me suddenly went blank, I mean completely blank. And if you were told you had to close your Bibles, but we would never want that to happen. But if that happened right now, I am making an assumption, and we shouldn't assume, but I'm making an assumption that some of us, if not all of us, will be able to recite some of that passage that has just been read to us by Luke. And you don't have to be a mastermind content contestant nor even greater than that, a member of St. John's quiz team on a Monday night, to know the answer to this question. What is the most famous, what is the most popular prayer in the world? It is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught and commanded us to use it. It gives a pattern of how we should pray, so we are praying to what the Bible gives priority to. This is the fourth and final week of our short sermon series on prayer. I have the baton, I'm on the fourth leg. Oh, I don't forget it and I hope we're carrying it all the weeks that we've done over the last three. And our aim, if you remember from the beginning, was to get our whole church excited about prayer. So I'm hoping you are a little bit more excited than maybe the beginning or, or loads more excited and that would be great. We've talked about the joy of prayer, power of prayer, the goal of prayer, and our focus this morning is on the attitude of prayer. And Jesus says we should check our motives for praying. None of it should be self-centered, but God-centered. Prayers to be regular, about God, not ourselves, nor about impressing others. The Lord's Prayer, and indeed other prayers you may have said in different worship patterns, are things that you probably say over and over again. And I guess the worrying thing is, is that sometimes that becomes something that you just recite out of habit, 
perhaps as if you have an obligation to fulfil. So hence, it perhaps loses some of its meaning and its purpose. I don't know if they give lines to people in school now if, if they've misbehaved. And I guess not, because you would just copy and paste and it would be done like that, wouldn't they? But when I was in senior school, I admit I got lines a few times. And, and one time, I was actually given a paragraph of five lines. So that was 500 to write out. So you're in the chemistry lab, and I put something in the test tube that went bang before it all started. So I got wrong for that. But then I started laughing about it before, during his talking. And he said, do you want to remain in this class or do you want to go out? To which I responded, I would rather go out. Well, you'd think the whole chemistry lab had blown up. He went ballistic. And I legged it, of course, but I had to come back. And I got a paragraph. And I remember a couple of the words, a couple of the lines, but you know something? After I'd wrote it a few times, it just, I was just writing as if I didn't even know what I was writing. It was just a pen on a line, just writing, writing, and there you go, handed in. It lost its whole meaning and the purpose. And have you ever, like, got to the end of the prayer, maybe the Lord's Prayer, hopefully not today, but when, but then you say, oh, amen, oh, we've got to the end. And perhaps you're not realizing because your mind's been elsewhere, or I'm gonna get the mint sauce for the roast beef, I'm gonna go and get the car washed on the way back, and then, amen, oh, we're at the end. Have you ever done that? Just words said? I guess when you're driving, and have you ever been where you've got to your destination, and you've thought, how did I get here? Have that ever happened to anyone? Good, because it's scary and it's happened to me. And those prayers we say, the words said, yes, they're coming out from our mouth, but they're not coming from the heart. So what is Jesus saying? Well, prior to our reading at the beginning of chapter six, he uses those similar words to inform us of his motives and his attitudes towards generosity. Then we've got our passage on prayer, and then fasting. And what he's saying is that it's easier to do what's right when we gain recognition and praise. For instance, see this 50 pound, pretend. I'm gonna put this extra 50 pound into that charity box now. You see this, that extra 50 pound I'm putting in. I might not look as good as I normally look. That's because I'm fasting. And I'm, I'm getting up and I'm challenging myself to it. It's hard. And look at me, but I'm, I'm fasting. And come and listen to my prayers. I pray on the hour, every hour. Please come and listen to my prayers. It's all about me. Don't be addicted to approval. Let's read the beginning of this passage. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The hypocritical Jewish religious leaders, it's a bit of a mouthful, 
pretended to be something that they were not, because that is what a hypocrite is. Someone who acts out a part that in, is not true in reality. And I'll hold my hand up, I've, I've been guilty of that. We've maybe been vocal about sweatshops and the fact that there's child labour going on, and then you go and buy a product from the very place where you're being vocal about how bad those conditions are. Or look at those people gossiping about somebody, and then you go and do the same thing yourself. In this day and age, we don't see people, we don't see people praying in the streets, on the street corners. Well, unless we go on our walk, which is once a month, and our prayer walk. But when I leave here, I'm not expecting to see people preaching on street corners. But in Jesus' time, the religious leaders were readily seen standing in public view, praying, making a show out of their prayers, bringing attention to themselves and their supposed holiness. That didn't impress Jesus because he seen right through their self-righteous acts. And he taught them that the essence of prayer isn't public style, but private communication with God. But Jesus isn't saying, don't pray in public. Jesus prayed numerous times in public and in private. It is all about attitude. We should be humbly praying without concern for self, but expect and trust in Jesus' purposes. But if we are praying in public, whether it's in the church context or in home groups, or perhaps a different setting, the focus is on addressing God, not on how we come across to others. And sometimes that's not easy because you're kind of conscious about who's listening, saying the right things, but we're not praying for the sake of what others think, but to an audience of one. The point Jesus is making wasn't a choice between public and private prayer, but between heartfelt and hypocritical prayer. And what Jesus is saying about those religious leaders in his time was that their prayers only went as far as the sound of their voice. Their prayers never reached God because they were never meant for God. An example of this sort of attitude to pray, Jesus tells us in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. If you want to turn to that page and have a look at that passage with me, it's on page 1052. On page 1052. And it's Luke 18, halfway down the page. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves 
will be exalted. The Pharisee is praying to himself. He mentions God within the prayer, but he's not praying to God. Everything is about himself. The tax collector is truly speaking to God, and you can tell that, and it's demonstrated by his humility of prayer. And when, when, when we come to God in prayer, it should always be with a humble heart. Because when you think what Jesus has done for us, he died for us. All that sin and shame he took upon himself so that we may be free. It is an absolute privilege to be able to come to God in prayer and to talk to him. And when we are alone with God, I guess that's how we really are. That's who we really are. Because there's nobody else around. And if we aren't captivated by God, well then, prayer's going to be tedious. And it's going to be right down the list. And I think that's been spoken about in, in some of our sermons. Where other things come before that. How much time do we put towards TV and reading other material and music and all the mobile devices we're on? And prayer's right the way down the line. I mean, we've got live pause, or we record, so we're watching it, then we record it, and then we go and watch it again. I watched Newcastle's highlights against Chelsea five times last week. Five times. I haven't watched it at all this week. <laughs> but that alone time with God, it is essential, because the truth is, Satan fights more in our area of spending time with God than any other area because it is a time of intimacy. And the evil one, it's the last thing he wants. And because God knows what's in our heart, he tells us that in verse eight, we can therefore come to him as transparent people. We can come before him glad, sad, or mad. I don't know about you, but I've come to him all three ways like that. Before directly teaching this prayer to his disciples, Jesus offers some more guidance. Verse 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The one who prays toward Jesus must talk to God in a simple, direct way fashion. In the modern world, we are drowning in words. We're used to advertisements and billboards and newspapers, books, but we've got emails, texts, Twitter, Facebook, constant updates. And you know, some of it's rubbish. I'm just going to have a nap now, and I'll post that, and then I'll let you know what I'm having for my tea. We are immersed in words. And in the process, some of those words have become cheap. Yeah, he knows. In many cases, you might find that fewer words are better. Jeremy Paxman's autobiography, he is a broadcaster, a journalist, an author. He gave an interview with the Prime Minister of that time, John Major. And John Major... And John Major was interviewing or speaking to Boris Yeltsin, who had come over to Britain. And John Major says to Boris Yeltsin, how is Russia? And Boris Yeltsin says, 
good. And John Muir just says, well, can you elaborate? And he said, not good. So sometimes fewer words are better than more. It doesn't mean you can't pray long. It doesn't mean you can't come to God as many times with you, as you want with as many quests, the same requests. Jesus encourages persistent prayer. But he condemns the shallow repetition of words that aren't said with a sincere heart, with a heart that is seeking him. <laughs> Otherwise, the empty prayers, meaningless repetition. The Lord's Prayer. Jesus' school of prayer for his disciples, his followers, comes down to this prayer given to his entire church. Let me read it. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's not noticeable by its length, is it? I read that fairly quickly. But it's noticeable by its depth. We will never outgrow the Lord's Prayer. The first half of the prayer is thus all about God. Because if a prayer starts with anything else but God, it, it's got a habit of just becoming about ourselves and then drifting into what we've mentioned about meaningless thoughts and random things coming into our heads about ourselves. The phrase, our Father in heaven, indicates that God is not only holy and majestic, but he is loving and personal. It's a statement of praise and commitment to hallow. It means to honour God's holy name. And we can honour his name by being careful to use it respectfully. Because if we use it lightly, well, then we aren't really remembering his holiness. Our Father, we are praying in the first person plural. Give us our daily bread, forgive us our because even in private prayer, they should have a community focus. It's about others, not just ourselves. The phrase, your kingdom come, is a reference to God's spiritual kingdom. It's not Israel's freedom from Rome. God's kingdom was announced in the covenant with Abraham, is present in Christ's reign and in believers' hearts, and will ultimately be complete when all evil is destroyed. And God establishes the new heaven and the new earth. And you'll read about that in Revelation 21. When we pray, your will be done, we're not resigning ourselves to fate, but praying that God's perfect purpose will be accomplished in this world as well as the next. And how does God accomplish his will on earth? Well, largely through us through Christians who are willing to obey him. This part of prayer allows us to offer ourselves as doers of his will, asking him to guide, to lead us. We are to pray, therefore, for people to become Christians and for the gospel to grow. And we thank God that his will is always best. Give us today our daily bread. 
We are acknowledging that God is our sustainer and our provider. Because it is a misconception if we think that we are providing for our own needs. And everything we ultimately need is found in Christ. You forgive us our debts, sins, trespasses, as we have also forgiven our debtors. It's one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? But if you hold on to that, it turns to anger and bitterness. And I guess forgiveness can be contagious because if we tell people the gospel truth that Jesus has forgiven us, forgiven you, forgiven you, then perhaps you can forgive another. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. As disciples, we should pray to be delivered from the trying times and the deliverance from Satan and his deceit. All Christians struggle with temptation. And sometimes it is so subtle that you don't even realize it's happening. So our attitude should be to pray claiming his victory, his rescue, rather than face any danger alone. You're used to this prayer, I guess, ending a bit differently. For thine is the power, the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And later manuscripts ended that way. We have given honor to God at the beginning of the prayer, and it's a grand ending. But Jesus ended his model with a reminder of our humility. The prayer moves from the greatness and the glory of God to our utter dependence on him. Kind of like the way that ends. And so, let us never forget what a privilege it is to be able to come to God in prayer. But always to come with him, to him, with that right attitude, with a humble heart that is seeking him, praying without concern for self, but expectant trust in Jesus' purposes. Because real prayer is an expression of love. Real prayer is an expression of perseverance. Real prayer is an expression of gratefulness. God desperately wants to hear from us. And you know what? He is excited when we come to him. So let us as a whole church be praying, be hoping and praying that we too become excited about prayer. So let me close this excitingly in prayer. Lord God, encourage us to pray more often, spending alone time with you, giving thanks always to our Saviour Jesus Christ, who has made all of this possible. Help us to pray with a humble heart that helps us to love you and to live for your glory, to do your will in all things. For your will and your ways are higher than our ways, and we entrust our requests to your sovereign kindness. We assist in Jesus' name. Amen.